0: Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll kick off. So, three, two, one. Okay, well, welcome today to the Devaco Breakfast Bar. It's great to see you. I wondered if you could start off, first of all, by telling us your name, your role, and, and your organization, and, and a little bit about what's happening there today.
1: Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Good morning. Uh, so, my name is Charles Chase. I'm the CTO of Returnmates. We are a logistics company here in the U.S., uh, we do, uh, last mile delivery and first mile reverse logistics, which is basically a fancy way of saying that we come to people's houses and pick up things they may have bought online and, and take them back for them. Um, I've been with the company, uh, for a little over two years, um, and in my role, I oversee our engineering team, um, the, uh, kind of scope of our technology efforts. Um, very deeply involved with uh, the product team, and uh, I basically came to this role um, through just kind of many, many years of of, of building companies like this company. Um, I essentially spent 25 years in a, in and around early stage um, technology companies. Uh, first as an engineer in the late 90s, uh, I eventually went back and got my MBA, uh, started my first company uh kind of stopped doing engineering but um there has been kind of an oscillation through my career where i've gone in and out of, of technical roles and it just happened that the founders of this company uh were at a position where they were looking for you know a third person at the table that had deep technology experience but also a lot of startup experience and and it ended up being a good fit
0: wow okay what a fascinating journey uh charles and we'll, we'll get more into uh, return mates and, and what's happening there shortly but Um, based on that sort of interesting journey you've had to where you are today, what would you say would probably be your most important accomplishment to date as, as, as a kind of CTO? Um, so I think my
1: most biggest accomplishment, um, is probably not the obvious. I mean, I've, 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 I've founded companies, I've sold companies, I've had, um, some really great success. I think my biggest accomplishment has been really a personal one um my journey into becoming the leader that I wanted to, that I want to be um and the the, the kind of the people focused leader that I want to be I think one of the themes that we can talk about today is um that people I don't think people really talk about is just how people driven technology businesses are I think sometimes we get wrapped up in the products and the and the code and stuff like that but I think for me, what I'm most proud of is, is my kind of personal journey in developing the skills that I have now. And, um, you know, I certainly have the gray hair as you can see that to kind of prove, uh, prove it. Um, but, uh, the financial successes, um, you know, the products built over, you know, two and a half decades are great, but, um, I'm just really happy where I am from more from like a, uh, mental and, and kind of leadership perspective.
0: Okay, and I was kind of thinking linked to that around what you're passionate about in in the industry and in the sector you're in. But you know, what is your what is the stuff that gets you out of bed in the morning and says, well, "I'm looking forward to to going today"? Well,
1: the thing that I get excited about is building great products with with passionate people that are driven to solve a, t- a particular problem we see in a market. Every every project I've ever worked on. Um, was always about either myself or somebody else. seeing a market problem and saying, hey, we can apply some technology and some, some process or some better thought, um, uh, to this and solve it. It's, it kind of goes back to when I was a kid, I just, I love Legos. I couldn't get enough of Legos. And so to me, when I discovered engineering, um, software engineering it was the same feeling I had when I was a kid building Legos. I, w- I could build something and I could see it, even though it was intangible and it was in the computer on the screen. Um, I could see it and I got this intense feeling of accomplishment. And so the thing that really the juice, as they say, for me, is being able to work with teams of just fabulous people and really trying to solve some hard problems and and watching us go through those trials and tribulations and seeing that end product even though it's imperfect and it's always in progress just being able to to do that day in and day out that's that's really what inspires me
0: wow and i can feel that coming through in what you say and we we will talk a bit more about the people involved in helping us achieve our goals one last question i like to ask kind of our cto guests before we move into talking specifically about the industry and some of the challenges there is uh when you look back at your your journey in your career is there a particular funny or bizarre story you could share with us that you look back with a smile and think wow that was a bit of a crazy situation but we came out the other side of it well i don't know if it's funny but
1: i i, I will say that um pretty much a theme that i've seen over the years um with 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 companies like this is um The business you end up in is never the business you thought you were going to be in, and um, in in the startup world, they like to use you know the word pivot, which is to me is a very kind of abrupt change in what you're trying to do. But the thing that's fascinating, and it's not funny, but it's it's just a truth that a lot of people don't talk about, is that um, it's very rare that when people say, "Hey, this is the business I want to get into," even return mates, um, you find yourself. uh, being, uh, pushed in different directions. I kind of, I kind of relate it to sailing where you're, 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 you think you're kind of trying to get to a certain destination and maybe that destination doesn't change, but as you get closer, the, the destination may be get clearer, but there's all kinds of winds that are coming at you and, and, and how you tack and how you handle those winds is, 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 is really the interesting part. And so, um, I just, If anything, I guess I kinda find it funny that we still convince ourselves that when we when we start something new, we think it's really gonna end up. I guess we're pretty good as humans at at kind of kidding ourselves like that.
0: Okay. Thanks, Charles. I I love the metaphor with the with the sailing and the winds and the changing winds and that kinda is a nice segue for me to start to talk about the changing wins uh, in the landscape of the industry in the sector we work in. And it's a very fast moving, changing environment, as as we know. How do you keep yourself up to date with the kind of ladies tech and changes in the space? Well,
1: so mostly I rely on my team. Um, So, you know, my day to day role is much broader than just being the CTO. I'm, uh, um, you know, I work very closely with the founders on strategy and, and a lot of stuff that probably falls outside of of most kind of CTO's swim lanes um and so I am not um as as directly involved today at least um with a lot of the tooling and some of the methods now um what that does is it requires me to really rely on you know my head of engineering my engineers themselves to be the ones who are are staying abreast of this and so you know, you have you have some specialists on your team, and the expectation is that they are staying up on what's the tooling that's happening, maybe on the front end. What you know, what are people doing on the back end? How are people really taking advantage of things like AWS or GCP? And so, the it's a long winded way of saying I really rely on my team to help me. Um, now, I will do some kind of high level macro oversight of what's happening, what's trending, but it's normally not from a deep technology. It's more of what's happening with platforms and how are people using platforms? Because ultimately in building a company like this, we're in a very diverse ecosystem and it's essentially a big chess match. We've got, we've got competitors, we've got companies where there's coopetition, we've got partners, and there's this big Venn diagram you can think about. There's a lot of overlap between what people are doing and everybody's kind of trying to jostle and figure out how they can extract the most value or, or, or or have the biggest impact on this ecosystem. And this ecosystem that we can talk about that we're in is very complex and very broad. And so that's, that's probably why it's the most interesting because there's so many areas of opportunity to
0: to go after here. Yeah. Understood. I think as some of our audience who would aspire one day to reach the role of a CTO, um, I kind of sometimes want to a question for them is in relation to uh computer language or development frameworks um how would you go about making choices on which is the right one for you to use so developers
1: of which i was i still consider myself one at, at in my heart um we're a funny lot we love to we we are explorers we love to try new things we tr- love to try new languages, we we love to try new tools. Great developers are, are always inquisitive in that nature. And so um, to me, I always wanna encourage our team to um, think about using other tools or other languages that might augment. I think from a big picture, we wanna be using platforms and frameworks and tools that have wide adoption. Partially from a recruiting standpoint, you, if you use kind of an obscure language in or, of a, or an obscure framework, you're going to have a hard time finding talent that know that. So, you know, our, our case, we're, we're using React Native on the front end, JavaScript, TypeScript. I mean, those are just really widely adopted, pretty much ubiquitous front end frameworks. And then on the back end, we're using, um, uh, you know, Node.js and a lot of AWS services that... It's 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 really easy to find talent who has expertise in those areas. So, um, any somebody who's coming up in the world, somebody who's learning this, I would encourage them to, um, you know, obviously be open minded, but dig into the technologies that 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 um, uh, where they can where they can find some mentorship, where they can find good resources. I remember when I first started as an engineer. There was no stack overflow. There was not a lot of information on the web. I mean, this is 1996. So back in those days, you would just buy a ton of books. So the way I learned was, I would buy books, and then I would rely on the person who was sitting next to me and kind of get some, you know, hey, what are you working on? That's really interesting. Can you can you show me? So I think an inquisitive mind is is kind of a fundamental piece of this. Um And you know, don't be afraid to explore. Don't be afraid to um, to to uh, propose kind of using new stuff because it you know it might give the business a better advantage. Uh, but just in general, um, when we think about the tools we want to use, most of it is which are going to be the most stable, which are going to have the most resources available to help us, and which are going to kind of be the most performance for the for the for the actual needs we need from a kind of a platform standpoint.
0: Okay, thanks, we, we You talked a little bit there about some of the skills that developers need to learn from a technical perspective. Um, I, I wondered what your view is on how important you think it is for developers to also upskill and learn more around the softer skills and interpersonal skills in their role.
1: And I, I think it is so underrated and so critical. So the technology business is a people business. It sounds cliche, but it's not the the products we're building the platforms we're building are done by people like you and me who can be inspired but also discouraged uh they 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 need to uh, be in a culture where they feel like they like working with their teammates so the soft skills the communication skills are so critical no no developer, unless they're working in a real silo somewhere, which I think is very rare, is um, by themselves. It, this is a this is a connected ecosystem, a connected world. In all these companies, you're interfacing with other developers. You can't be shut off and say, "Oh, you know, I'm just going to do this," and you know, don't talk to me. Um, you have to have great listening skills because you need to understand from your team what's being asked of you. And I don't mean, hey, I need to code this. It's trying to understand what is being asked of you, what like what the goal is, what what am I actually trying to build here? What's the user experience gonna be? And then I can figure out what the implementation is. So incredible listening skills are required and, and then just verbal written and 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 um and other communication skills, because we as a team spend a lot of time in stand-ups. We share what we're working on, and so, yeah, I can't stress enough just how much the interpersonal and soft skills are are, are important for engineers that really want to, really want to thrive and, and potentially advance in their career.
0: Okay, thanks. You referred to your team. Are you able to share with us any of the specifics currently of the makeup of your team and the types of roles you've got there? Sure. So our team is basically broken up in
1: the kind of three buckets. Uh, We have a front-end team, we have a back-end team, and then we have a a team of of test engineers. We call them um, SDETs, S-E-E-T's. And so some of our team members uh, can do full stack, but at this point we have opted to to kind of have everybody focus on their specialties. I think um, one of the reasons is that over the years, front end in particular has become very sophisticated um and so uh my preference is to to have front end team members who are really masters of all that complexity and that sophistication that's happening on the front end particularly with these with these frameworks and and the back end services are 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 very nuanced as well so it's not that i don't want people to understand from a macro level, how all the dots are connected, but uh today what's worked really well for us is having having people in these in these in these special areas um and and really being kind of uh, masters of a particular domain okay. I, I I'll also say that one thing I'll add to that is that doesn't come without pitfalls because it requires you to have you know backup in particular roles for instance, if you have a team that's, that's focusing on a specific platform, maybe a black end service, you know, obviously you need to have backup for those per, for those people, because, you know, people have families and get sick and, and, you know, all kinds of regular human stuff. So, um, it's, it's a strategy that we've just taken and so far it's worked out really well.
0: Okay. And, and how have you been finding it, trying to access that talent to get them into your organization?
1: Yeah. So, um. Finding talent, recruiting talent, selling them on the vision, folding them into our system, and having them thrive in the workplace is a lot of work. It's just, I think, I think people just think that you're going to put a job out out there and you're gonna, um, you're gonna get people in and they're I mean, so. We think a lot about when we're hiring the types of people we want to hire. You know, uh, we think kind of culturally you know we we can talk about culture in depth but like this idea of of how do people approach things and are they approaching things in a manner that 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 we would want to if if we weren't watching um but it is very hard to find uh talent that maybe fits your scheme and so um i myself and and my vp we spend a considerable amount of time um recruiting so it's it's It's, you know, I'm just saying, like, always be recruiting, even if I'm not, even if I'm not hiring somebody tomorrow, I'm constantly meeting people. I'm constantly talking to people. I'm asking people for recommendations because when I have a role come up, I want to be able to already have an established kind of list of, 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 of people that might be a good fit for the team and, and
0: doing that work early really benefits you. Okay. and and access to key talent we know is is critical to achieving our business goals and i'm I'm kind of wondering then if you could share with us how that then drew you to look at maybe i.t outsourcing and, and and that kind of hybrid sourcing model
1: yeah so having worked in this business for a long time i've i've been exposed to and been part of this type of outsourcing for a lot of years and uh to be really transparent i was never really a fan of it because i just had bad experiences with it kind of maybe in the first kind of decade that i was doing this and um what i came to learn is how beneficial it can be but you have to you really have to understand what you're getting and how to leverage it and i think one of the things that people don't understand or are aren't willing to invest is is the planning and communication. It's, if you think about it this way, um, if somebody's sitting right next to me, it's really easy for me to be lazy as a planner because something can just pop in my head and I can just turn to the person and say, oh yeah, this and this. But when you have an international team that's spread across the world like we do, who is working sometimes when you're asleep, it forces you to have really refined process and cadence around um, how you're planning, how you're uh, giving work to people, how you're reviewing it, how they're working with other people that are that are on, on different time zones. Um, and so uh, I basically came back to outsourcing and kind of gave it a new try um, about five years ago and just had a lot of success. And so to me, it's a really important piece of our overall strategy. Um, we, we don't fully outsource. We use it as a um, augmentation to our to our own strategy, but it plays a really critical role.
0: Okay. And when you say it plays a critical role, what would you summarize to me as probably the key benefits of outsourcing what it does bring to you? Well, the first thing it does is
1: um, generally when you're outsourcing, you're doing it internationally. So um, it enables you to access talent that's you through your own network so my network is primary in the us so outside of my network how do i access amazing talent in um south america or eastern europe um and so doing that and relying on um, outsourcing groups enables you to uh extend your network enables you to get access to great people that you otherwise wouldn't have access to um it gives you a diversity of countries. So we think a lot about diversity of risk in, in our business. And so when we think about uh, where our team members are, we want diversity in terms of what countries they're in. We want diversity of perspective, right? You can imagine somebody who is in the Ukraine is looking through a different lens than a person that's in Brazil versus a person that's in Silicon Valley. Um, it also gives us... Incredible time zone coverage. So we like to have people across all kinds of time zones because we're a twenty four seven business. And also, um, this isn't the primary the primary driver, but um, it's hard to beat the economics the the economics of um, of outsourcing internationally, um, particularly with the level of talent that you can get,
0: is really hard to beat. Okay, Giles, in relation to that, are you able to share with us a specific example of where where having a hybrid approach with an outsourced model has has helped you in a particular project
1: um yeah so one of one of the things one of the benefits of um outsourcing that I probably didn't mention earlier is also um speed to um speed to how can I say this um uh speed for getting new team members, so um, if we're looking to hire a full-time team member, it might take us, um, you know, sixty days or ninety days to find somebody and go through the whole interviewing process. One of the benefits of outsourcing is that speed to acquisition of candidates gets really compressed because they've done a lot of legwork up front to know, and these people are already working on not necessarily similar projects, but the framework you need. And so one of the things I like about it is if I have kind of an immediate need that I need filled, maybe it's not super long term, maybe it's short term. Um, you can do that very quickly because they have a lot of uh, players on the bench, if you will, that are ready to kind of step up and, and, and step into a role.
0: Okay. Uh, look, There's always pros and cons with every solution. What, what would be your sense of the potential drawbacks around working with an outsourcing model?
1: Well, the the drawbacks are that, as I mentioned earlier, if you're not set up correctly, if you don't have the right processes in place, the right communication channels, like, so so if you're not good at planning, so just, you talked very specifically, if, if you're not good at planning, who's going to be working on what, you know, kind of in a sprint model or, or just being really organized and, and being able to, Uh, share with team members what they're going to be working on and what the QA process is. You can get really frustrated because you're most likely the one who's failing to communicate to them. And so um, done right, it works out really well, but I know a lot of people that haven't had success, including me in kind of previous lives where, you know, you fail to really plan enough and communicate well, and then it doesn't work out and you think it's them. And maybe partially it's, it's the other side, but it's most likely you. Um, and so, yeah, that's really the, the the only downside is you you need to understand what you're getting. You need to understand that um, uh, that it's it requires more effort on your end. I think there is another part which is um, it's not a problem for me, but sometimes people have uh, challenges with 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 language. So, you know, we have a team that is in we're spread across Ukraine. Costa Rica, Brazil, the Philippines, and the U.S. And I personally have no problem understanding anybody. Maybe just because I've done this for a long time, but you know, some people, uh, you know, you're going to work with folks who maybe their English, obviously their English isn't their first language. So you know, you have to you have to uh, uh, be able to accommodate that and um, and work through it.
0: Okay and I'm kind of curious then of how you came to work with Devico you know what was happening in your organization at the time how did you find Devico um and and kind of how's that relationship been working and for how long
1: yeah so i joined returnmates very early um uh, i was basically the first hire after the founders and at that time they were looking for i think i said earlier they were looking for somebody to come in and join them as cto um But also it was tricky because they really needed somebody who could roll up their sleeves and actually code day one, but then eventually grow the team and grow into a much uh, more senior leadership position. And so it was just a fit because I had been doing some engineering work uh, uh, the year prior to I met them. As I said, I've kind of oscillated in now these engineering roles. So when I joined them, I personally... Uh, rebuilt and re-architected the entire system. They had a essentially a, a prototype running, but it wasn't it wasn't built for the long term. So, I knew all the back end and, and basically how they implement the back end, but I didn't know the front end. I knew I needed to bring a specialist in on the front end. Um, before I'd met return mates, I had had a lot of success with uh, a couple individuals in the Ukraine. And so, it was the first time I had worked with the Ukrainians, and my experience was that uh, they were so knowledgeable, like really skilled, great communicators. And so when I was thinking I need to bring a front-end person as my kind of first hire to help me re-architect this entire system, um, I thought, okay, I, 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 should, I should find somebody in the, in the Ukraine. So through a, a set of mutual friends, I, I got introduced to, to Oleg from, from Devico. And, uh, he sent me a few candidates and, uh, one of the candidates that, that, that we looked at who I interviewed, his name's Vlad, um, was just fantastic. And so in the early days, it was Vlad and myself, and that was it. And eventually we started building the team. Uh, we've built back end team members. We built front end team members. And, um, I'm happy to say that Vlad is actually still with us. The guy is insane. And, um, the the level of talent is just is hard to find for uh the the kind of level of um you know that the how can i say this um the engineers at devico are so smart and the price is the, the economics are really hard to beat and the other thing is that i hate to say this but a lot of developers in the us unfortunately because of all these fang companies have ridiculous expectations about comp benefits and just frankly drama that you just you don't get any of that with with um the
0: the team at devico that i've been working with Great, thank that's great feedback thank you it's a very competitive landscape right there's lots of it outsourcing people Uh, developer body shops, you must have spoken to a number of different people providing those services. I kind of wondered if you could share with us, what are some of the things you hear from some of those providers that you think, I definitely don't want to work with those guys?
1: Well, okay, so going back to this is a people business, so when I speak with something, um, I feel like I have a pretty intuitive in terms of getting a read on somebody, and so when I talk to somebody, we can talk technical details. We can talk non-technical. And I feel like um, my BS meter is is pretty well calibrated. And so, yeah, I've talked to a lot of people that have shops and um, I just felt like it was with the ones that I didn't choose that just didn't have confidence or I didn't feel like I had a relationship. And I will say that the reason that we end up going with Devico was first because I trusted Oleg. I just we connected, and I just felt that he understood what we were looking for. I felt that he was honest. I felt that he it was just going to be a great relationship, and there wasn't going to be any drama or or shenanigans. And so, yeah, so it, it was it was like a hundred percent built on just me connecting with another person and having trust that this person was going to be able to um, do what they said they were going to do. And then that just gets further reinforced when the team members that he introduces to me, like Vlad and, and subsequently the other guys that come on, it further enforces that they know what they're doing because the people that they send to us are quality people. So clearly they're doing a lot of work on their side. Um, and so, yeah, I think it really boils it boils down to just, you know, these conversations and just trusting that that people will have your best interests at heart.
0: Okay, Charles. Thanks. Last question: um, There will be people who who watch this who are maybe considering using outsourcing, uh, going to shops. Um, what what would you say to those people who are just about to step into considering doing that? What would be your kind of top three tips for them as far as advice goes before they enter into that relationship? Well, as you just alluded to. Talk to a lot of people,
1: go through your network, talk to people that have used, like with any service provider for any service in your life, be it a mechanic, a doctor, whatever it is, you want to ask people, Hey, who have you used? Did you like them? You know, get like somebody in your network. You just need to do the legwork. Somebody in your network knows somebody and have a lot of conversations and really try and understand, really try and get a gauge of. If you think this person or this group is going to, um, be a good partner for you, right? So I wasn't looking to have a front end developer come on for three months. I was looking for somebody to join us who is going to be here for five years or 10 years. This is a long-term relationship. And so you need to do the legwork. It's not like anything in life. It's not just, it's not easy. Like you, if you put in the work, you'll get the results. And so have a lot of conversations, um, you know, ask hard questions, um, get referrals and, and, uh, yeah, I think if you do those things and you're realistic around how outsourcing is a piece of the solution, maybe an augmentation to your whole strategy, I think, I think people will find a lot of
0: success. Charles, thank you very much. Listen, it's been a privilege having, uh, You as a CTO from ReturnMate, fantastic platform, great service, great idea, and thanks for sharing all your thoughts with us today at the breakfast bar.
1: Oh, pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me on.